Thanks for listening to the Archbridge Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Wilterdink, and today I'm joined by Joe Coletti. Until recently, rejoining North Carolina's state government, Joe was a senior fellow at the John Locke Foundation, a North Carolina-based policy research organization, where he examined fiscal and tax policies and budget policies. He also previously headed the North Carolina Government Efficiency and Reform Initiative within the Office of State Budget and Management, and has spent his career improving operations and strategies at for-profit, non-profit, and government entities. And Joe is someone I've known for quite a while, and I'm very excited to uh, to talk with him today. So, Joe, thank you for joining us. Thank you for asking me, Ben. Uh, uh, the guests that you've had on are, are, are tremendous, so I'm just glad to be part of the list of the, of the folks that you've talked to, in addition to having the opportunity to catch up with you. So, glad to be here. Awesome. You're very kind. I appreciate that. Well, I, I wanted to get started off because, you know, one thing that you had written recently really caught my attention. I loved your report on thriving in North Carolina. I think it really touches on a lot of the topics that we care a lot. I care a lot about personally. We care a lot about at the Archbridge Institute. It's very focused on removing those barriers uh, to opportunity. Uh, and so in the report, you sort of, you focus on Charlotte in particular, Charlotte, North Carolina, and that's kind of where you sort of use as like a jumping off point to kind of talk about some of these issues. Um, but what I found really interesting about it was, you know, some people have described it as a listening paper, and I think that's very uh, accurate. But you don't you don't just jump into the problems and here's what I think we should do. You really take a lot of time to kind of address the context in which these things are happening. So you're looking at, you know, how can we advance uh, public? Uh, how can we advance? economic opportunities for people, but specifically how policies in the past affected those opportunities, specifically among black Americans in, in North Carolina. And, and the ultimate importance of community is something that you also um, take care to talk about in the report a lot. So can you maybe start by explaining the context of how you were writing that and sort of maybe why you decided to write a report in that way, which is a little bit different? Yeah. So, uh, it, 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 the report is, is written in this way because a lot of times when engaging with people who more or less agree with, who, who may agree on the policies in the end, but, or at least on the objectives, right? No, people who want to have uh, a greater, greater prosperity for everybody less poverty, want people to be able to escape from poverty, want people to be able to work. They see markets as a way to accomplish things. Um, but if they, if they start from a progressive kind of perspective on it, then when they hear some of the solutions that a, somebody from a, a, a long-time pro-market perspective will bring, which is like eliminate the minimum wage or at least don't raise the minimum wage, they, they, the, if that's for the place where you start is here's what we should do, then, then they can't hear that because they haven't because they think that the reason they, they attribute reasons and motivations to that policy prescription that aren't there. Uh, so I wanted to make sure that we could establish through the context setting uh, of, of Charlotte. Here's what's happened in the past, and talk some about the the past year with Black Lives Matter and and attempts that have been done with intergenerational opportunity and, and a lot of James Heckman's work on that. And I know you all have worked with him and, and the importance of moral truth during the the, the 80s and uh, the, the, the late term fight against 
Eastern Bloc communism. In this, uh, it, all of that is important to be able to kind of get to the, all right, now that we've established all of this, and, and hopefully we agree on at least a couple points along the way, now we can talk about some, some, some solutions that may not actually get to the end goal of eliminating poverty, but as you all work at at Archbridge, right, removing some of the barriers that get in the way, and so that's. But but if you start with if you don't start with the context, then people uh, will turn you off and and not listen. The the old the old phrase, right? Nobody cares what you know until they know that you care. Yeah, I think that's so important. So you highlighted kind of hitting hitting that common ground. So at least you guys, you know, whoever you're talking with, you can actually discover some of these things together. And, you know, it's, it's sort of a sign of good faith. Cause I, you know, I think, you know, as much as we try sometimes, you know, I'll admit even for myself, you know, we get kind of in our tribal corners a little right. bit and it's, and it's just like, well, I've looked at this and I know, and like, I have this perspective and like, that's, that's not always the most effective way to to communicate with people. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I thought that was uh, that was yeah. So I thought that was uh, I thought that was good. So I I'm hoping now you know since you've kind of laid the groundwork for that a little bit, uh, can you run through? I know it, it, towards the maybe the last third or so of the report really gets into the details of of the policy sort of stuff that you were recommending. Um, so you touched on the minimum wage. That's something that uh, I've I've talked about a lot too. You know I. My perspective on it is, you know, I, I don't like it. I think, um, you know, it, it probably causes more harm than it does good uh, on net. But if we're going to if we're going to have to have it, and we're going to have to, you know, even think about raising it. Let's try to do that as locally as possible, you know, um, so avoiding things like federal mandates. But so the minimum wage was one. But can you can you just walk through briefly uh, a few of the other suggestions that you included in the report? Sure. Yeah. And, and minimum wage, I, I have to give because uh, his birthday was recently uh, Gastonia, North Carolina native. And, and Charlotte is, as we learned from Saturday Night Live, the gateway to Gastonia. Um, <laughs> Thomas Sowell, uh, great, great economist, uh, born in North Carolina, uh, celebrated his 91st birthday recently. Uh, and, and, yes. part of the re- and, and his work on minimum wage was, was part of what, got, what converted him being, from being a Marxist to being a believer in markets. Uh, because he saw that the minimum wage uh, harms black, black men more than it harms white men. And, 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 and looking at, back at the history of it, whenever there was a large minimum wage increase, uh, black unemployment increased. And so that's, uh, that, that's part of the, the challenge on that side. But um, so I had to, get, had to mention him because his birthday was so recent. Um, but occupational licensing is another piece of that that uh, looking at, at the minimum wage and the problem with it is, is its effect on, on uh, low-skilled workers more than, than others. And occupational licensing provides another barrier for, uh, for people to be, able to, get in, to, to, be, to be able to get into the workforce or to be able to advance in the workforce. Uh, that once you've been able to work for, uh, in a, a, a low-skilled job and you're ready to, to take on Greater responsibilities and or go into business for yourself. In a lot of in a lot of instances, whether it's it's and, and particularly for women, there are many more jobs that are licensed for women than for men. If you think about daycare worker, teacher, all of those things, um, they're even even with relatively lower skills than the jobs that men have that are licensed, but they they have to jump through more hoops. So that's one that is is critically important. 
uh, talk a lot about the, the different aspects of healthcare. Some of that from the job perspective, uh, with scope of practice for those people who go, are going into the healthcare field, and then uh, the other ways that it, that healthcare costs provide uh, establish barriers to being able to work. That if somebody's going to have employer provided insurance, uh, then if they leave that employer and go to a small small company, they're going to lose that. Or if they go to a startup, if they start up their own company, that's a challenge as well. So, um, and and all of the, the the way that healthcare works raises the cost of of care and makes it makes the the money that you earn in your job, regardless of the kind of insurance, it, it goes a little less far because you have to cover those insurance costs. Uh, talk some about the the barriers to starting up a business in the in the first place, the the challenges that we have with the criminal justice system. Uh, a colleague of mine at the Block Foundation, John Guzet, has a paper coming out in the near future on the the issue of uh, the the need for more policing, uh, which has become a, a greater topic in the past couple months. Um, but I, I look in this paper briefly at at the effects for those leaving prison and the and the employment impacts that having a criminal background or having a criminal record has on your ability to work and uh and uh and housing both the ability to afford it and the ability to use it to, to gather wealth and uh and uh, and then in addition to all of those things the uh the challenges that uh exist with government programs and the asset restraints that they put the ability to accumulate wealth uh, I quote Mauricio Miller, who started the Family Independence Initiative, talking about we've made poverty tolerable. We just haven't made it escapable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I kind of had that uh, quote that you uh, used there in my notes to, to talk with you about, because, you know, as you're listing uh, some of these different policy ideas, I recognize them. Right. So like I, I I've seen. Some states have made some progress on them uh, on the occupational licensing front. There does seem to be some momentum, and that's great news. And and for listeners that maybe want a little more background on that, these are issues that you know we've covered at Archbridge, or I've talked about maybe with some other podcast guests. If you really want to take a deep dive in, into some of those issues, I'd encourage you to look at some of those past episodes. But I I really I say that because they are they're policies that seem to have fairly broad agreement. Uh, at least in my mind. And I think, you know, even if there's um, some people that are maybe a little more harder on the progressive side, they wouldn't like some of these things. But, but you know, maybe with the exception of the minimum wage, the other policies, you know, fixing the zoning laws that, that suppress new housing development, making it easier to start a business or conduct a business from your home, uh, you know, getting rid of some of these old occupational licensing laws, you know, these are pretty common sense reforms. And we've seen a little bit of progress. But I guess my question for you is, why haven't we seen more progress on these? You know, a lot of these are are, are sort of, you know, I call them like 80%, mm-hmm. you know, issues, right? Well, like you know, 80% of people, I think, would agree like, yeah, okay, maybe we should make it a little easier to start a business from your home or, or to fix some of these occupational licensing things. So what's, what's your perspective on, you know, am I, am I being too pessimistic? Do you think? Uh, so how, how do you look at all that? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll start with the with the uh, with with the mea culpa first, and go, going back to the 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 why I wrote the paper the way that I did, and then go to the the, the uh, more entrenched reasons of, of why we we can't get the, why why these reforms are difficult. So on the on the so the one part of it is 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 the way that we talk about it. As I mentioned earlier, the, the part of why I wrote the paper the way that I did with with all the context at the start. 
um, is uh, I, I, while I was writing the paper, I, I saw something by Esau Macaulay. He has a book uh, on on reading while black, about which is about reading the Bible as as a black person and the black uh, black church tradition that there is for interpretation of the Bible versus the progressive interpretation and the fundamentalist and evangelical uh, interpretation. And he said that if you look at a black church, they will agree more often with the conservative interpretation. Uh, but when they get to seminary, they, fi they find themselves with the progressives. And when things happen, they align on that side. And because the, the conservative voice hasn't addressed the, we understand the, the background that you're bringing to this, and 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 we think we uh, and and so we agree we understand your background and we agree on the on the outcomes and everything else and so now let's move together in in unison and uh, but it, instead too often we ignore or or de, uh, degrade the uh, the experience the experience that people have and uh, and that's a challenge that we have in general. Uh, but that, that's so that's a, that's a, that's a starting point is just sometimes when we talk about things, uh, we, we, we jump into them and we don't acknowledge the, 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 the lived experience of others and, and getting to the why, why, why this will work. Um, but on top of that, for a lot of these, uh, for a lot of the, for a lot of the, the policy issues, especially housing and occupational licensing and healthcare. It's been such an established way of doing things that uh, we're taking on the we are taking on entrenched interests, and sometimes that's you and me, right? If we're talking about the homeowners, or we're talking about uh, or or our friends who are in uh, license, uh, occupations that are licensed, right? I got here, I had to go through all these steps, and now somebody else has to has to should go through the same thing. We're we're about protecting. The customer, and we're, we're talking in and, and consumer safety, uh, and so with occupational licensing, especially, and with the housing, it's we want to be able to keep the neighborhood up, and uh, and there are, are tremendous books that talk about uh, how that has been abused in the past, and that's part of where I start the paper is talking about uh, and using using the book The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein, uh, that takes a look at how federal policy entrenched enforced segregation of neighborhoods. Um, and now that they exist, right, the homeowners association or the zoning regulations are to protect the people who already own a home and, and the and the and the person looking to buy or looking to rent has much less voice either because they're already they're not already in the community or they're not as embedded in the community. And so those become hard things to to overcome. Um, one aspect where where there's been some so some things where there's been, where we've been able to gain ground uh, are when there are abuses of those local powers. When city council members crack down on lemonade stands uh, that kids are running, yeah. and, and right, Country Time even had a, a, a an effort to say, do you have lemonade freedom in your state? Uh, uh, food trucks in some places are able to gain some some adherents who can who can help push for. For, for for their freedom, even as they and and restaurants are starting to realize that they can have a restaurant and a truck, and so there's there's greater opportunity there, and uh, and with with the COVID pandemic, as well, we've seen uh, some 
uh, states remove some of the barriers to entry and some of the for for healthcare. We've we've seen innovations on 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 regulations, including uh, takeout alcohol at a lot of places. Which right, uh, yeah. even even in dry places, there's like well, you know, the, the, we have to keep the businesses open. Uh, and and then in some policy innovations, uh, one that I mentioned it was started in Arizona with our friends at the Goldwater Institute. Uh, for for zero impact businesses, right? If your business, if you're a home based business, which uh, and you have no customers coming in, you have and and there's and there's you're not going to harm your your neighbors by having all kinds of things happen in the neighborhood. You should just have you should just be able to do that. And so some policy innovations are coming that may, are are making it easier to gain ground on it. Uh, some of the uh, Circumstances are changing to be able to gain ground, and then uh, and and the messaging that from those of us who are in favor of these things, uh, uh, coinciding with that is getting better. We're being able to acknowledge, okay, there there were problems in the past. I understand why you may not trust us, uh, but uh, but but here here's the problems with that that lead that led to the the imposition of this regulation. And so maybe we should take a look at, uh, the, and, and so the regulation itself has, 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 some, has some troubling side effects and maybe a, a troubling history as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of troubling histories, I mean, minimum wage does not exactly have the, uh, the bright, you know, beginnings that a lot of people seem to think it does. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I definitely, uh, I appreciate that, that, um, a little more optimistic takes you know, I, sometimes I'll get a little bogged down in some of this stuff and it seems like we aren't making a lot of progress, but there are, there are places where progress is being made and that's super helpful. And I think it's important because I do see a few more people being more receptive to uh, taking the approach that you're taking as well. I think, you know, it's, it takes a while to kind of turn that ship uh, a bit. And uh, I think that, you know, one challenge that we face sort of in the in the nonprofit and some of the policy sectors is, you know, um, there does seem to be a disconnect between how uh, regular people are used to consuming sort of news or policy related, uh, you know, information. It's a bit more uh, geared towards turning up the temperature um, than it is, you know, turning down, which can kind of be... Uh, can kind of hamper efforts on the other end of actually trying to make things happen. Uh, so I'm glad to see that, that that at least to me it appears to be shifting a bit, and it sounds like that's something that you're seeing as well. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and, and and among things, things. I mean, the fact that that you all have been able to to stay in existence, that that, that you all started, and that you're able to to thrive as you are as at Ar- at Archbridge. Uh, the the work of some of the uh, more established national groups, Independent Institute. Uh, to, to take a look at these things. And then uh, at, at with uh, the, there's a, a number of local groups that are, that are starting up who are trying to, to engage, especially in urban issues. And at the state level, uh, so the John Locke Foundation is uh, one of a, a number of free market uh, state think tanks across the country. And there, there's one in Georgia called the Georgia Center for Opportunity. And They've been they've been doing this work for a long time, uh, focused on on the success sequence approach and uh, being engaged in the community. And they've been uh, they're they now have partners in Georgia and in Texas and uh, and and 
potentially one coming up in, in Oklahoma. And so they're being they're they're exporting that model and that way of looking at it, which is more engaged uh, with the, with the broad community to be able to so that the, the policy solution is part of uh, the, the larger puzzle. And that actually, that's probably one of the things that that like it becomes weird for those of us who are in who are, who advocate for more freedoms and and uh, and and less government and more community-based things is that when we're policy organizations, by default, we have to talk about government, and yeah. by default, because we're policy organizations and and we're talking about government, then the wins that we have are when government policy changes, and that distorts again the kind of the, how we have to talk about this. And instead of being engaged on the community side and t- saying, and here's the replacement, we just have to say, if we, 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 we almost engage in kind of the same government a- as, as cure-all that those who are the progressives do, right? They think that we just need more government involvement and that will take care of it. Government needs more money and more regulatory power. And our message too often comes across as we just need less government and less government and, and less spending and we, and we, and we have less to point to as uh, as an alternative to the outside. We don't we don't have a yes to replace it with. Right. Yeah. I think that's that's super important. And uh, you know that's something that I think about often. You know when we're doing some of our policy stuff. You know I think yeah you know, we can we can kind of fall for this illusion that well if we just get you know. I think you had mentioned this, you know, at a speech uh, one time, you know, a couple of years ago that that uh, was was really impactful on me in particular. And it was just kind of this this mentality that like, well, if we can just get government out of the way, everything will be great. And it's just and it's that's you know, there's there's some truth in that. You know, there's there are government barriers and we should be working to remove them. I mean, that's what we're doing. But that's not the whole picture. Right. That's it's certainly and it, and it may not even be the the biggest part of the picture. So you focused a lot on community and, and, and the importance of community. So can you, can you talk a little bit about why community has been such uh, an important part of your work and sort of how you see community fitting into the puzzle of flourishing in general? Yeah. So um, yeah, starting with, with, with that, with that government versus uh, when, when government steps in, Nathan Glazer uh, wrote, about 50 years ago now, that every government program, every government agency replaces something in the community, and whether that's uh, and and sometimes sometimes our, our our community groups right are are exclusive, which is uh, which there's sometimes a bad part of that. Um, sometimes we, mm-hmm. we we hear the stories uh, of, of of right where we know the nosy neighbor, um, but that nosy neighbor is also what what Jane Jacobs talked about. When talking about the death and life of cities, that it's the 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 community is there taking a look after each other, and uh, and, and you know that your child is safe because it's that um, there, there's a little bit of the, it takes a village, right? It's um, yeah. but there there is some truth to that. That if you go outside, if if you if you grow up in a neighborhood with a lot of people who are active in the community, then they're there, they're the eyes on the street, and they can take care of and provide other lessons that you can't get from your parents and you can't and you're never going to get from school because it's just not something that they can that they can do um, and 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 when you get to that what 
a, a lot of the benefit that that exists from being in a growing up middle class or growing up otherwise and are the when when people talk about uh white privilege they're really talking about kind of there's a, there's a bit of kind of class privilege that go that that they're actually talking about and 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 family privilege that you, if you have an it's the the success sequence if you have an intact family and you complete school and so the community is there to provide the the lessons and and be there in a way that government can't and in a in a way that we wouldn't want government to be either right mm-hmm. your neighbor can say that was stupid why'd you do that uh, but your neighbor's also able to be there when uh, when you break your leg and you're not able to get around as much. And so they can take your trash out. They can bring you a meal. They can do those things. And you expand it out a little bit and you think about how how do, how do you get, when you're advancing professionally, you get jobs from the people that you know more often than just the fact that something is posted. Um, right. even, even places that are large companies that have the the computers that read your 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 resume, uh, the only way that you get through that process is if you know somebody in the company who can guide you through the process. Like they help you, they've helped pull yeah. you out of HR to say, I know this person, I know Ben, and, and he, and he can do this job. Let's get it. Let's get him in. Um, and so that's where, uh, and, and, and too often, uh, poor people, uh, and don't recognize the connections that they have and they don't recognize the community they have that's part of that's part of the poverty that they they don't have relationships and that's part of wh- where where they're poor is that they uh that the relations that we have with one another are a kind of wealth and a kind of ability to to accomplish things and 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 it's beyond the Mitch album it, uh, nobody ever wishes they could work longer they wish they had better relations they had better connections and they had better friends but it's also that um the in Charlotte, there was a uh, the Brookings Institution has taken a look and they found that that black men have fewer connections that to the rest of the community to help them advance. Um, mm. And and the and the connections that they have are more like are, are there's a smaller number and they're more like themselves. And so they're not going to be able to find an opportunity outside of that. Um, and so so one aspect is of community is just it's important because it the more people that you know the more opportunities that you can have and the more they can help you find things to do with your money or things to do with your time that are productive um right and and then uh so that's the informal community is just the people that you know and and how they look out for one another and then the the more formalized community of nonprofit organizations and churches and, and fraternal organizations, um, that's those are the groups that can can step in and provide assistance uh, in a in a more uh, with a larger number of people, and uh, and be able to to step into a situation uh, with with more ability, um, but but. Uh, the the Family Independence Initiative, one of their, their things is making sure that when somebody comes in, if they're receiving money, that they bring they bring people with them, because there's accountability there, and there's and there's joint problem solving, and so they're they're working together uh, to be able to accomplish a goal, and mm-hmm. and 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 so and that changes the way that they look at one another. They don't look at one another as just uh, as as that's another person, but 
you you start thinking about right if you're running short of rent who do you go to if you if your bicycle breaks down uh who do you go to if if you're right, right you're, you're you're embedded in that community in yeah. a way right? and yeah. you can kind of you can draw resources from it as you need and you can and you can give in resources as well and and it's not some faceless thing like you know these people they know you right. it's it's there is that relationship there and so like yeah. the decisions that can be made and the resources that can be allocated are very finely tuned because they just have a lot more information right like that's yeah. how it seems to me yeah and and uh and and no and 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 thank you for for uh, i was i was kind of running in circles there but but there's also the you mentioned uh, the that there's the I was focused on the on the drawing from community, mm-hmm. um, but there's also the the you don't you might not recognize in yourself the abilities that you have, right? Every athlete needs a coach. Every person needs somebody to uh, yeah. right. There, there's if you look at a lot of stories, there's always the teacher who recognized the ability in a person, and that changed their life. Or uh, and right if if. Uh, when you go into a, a neighborhood, a lot of times people have been beaten down so much because of those barriers. They can't work. They can't. Whatever, and and so they don't look at themselves as as potentially contributing members of society. Uh, right. Yeah. They, the, because government programs don't allow them to accumulate assets, they're they're stunted on that side. And so it so they you have to go to the neighbor and say, uh, right, somebody has, to, somebody has to go to Gonzalo and say, Gonzalo, what has Ben good at? And he can say, oh, I wouldn't be able to survive without, without Ben doing this, this, and this. And, and those might be things that you never even recognize in yourself. Right, you wouldn't even know, yeah. That's a really, that's a really interesting point. Yeah, I think that's so, that's so crucial, that's so key. And like, that's, um, you know, that's something that, you know, at Archbridge we talk about barriers to opportunity and barriers to flourishing and you know we kind of have this dichotomy which you know is not exactly a dichotomy they're overlapping but on one side you have the artificial ones which is some of the stuff that we've talked about in in a more policy perspective of like government barriers to accumulating wealth or getting a job or something like that and then you sort of have the natural barriers that you know that that thing that's holding you back from achieving what you could is not imposed from the government it's something that like you're saying maybe you don't recognize it in yourself but whatever that is, is still a real barrier to you succeeding. And that needs to be addressed as well. But, you know, there's not really a government program that can say, you know, let's make sure people recognize what's valuable in themselves or something like that's just not, that's not something that's going to happen from, you know, a a bureaucracy, even, you know, however finely tuned. uh, And so that you really need that. But I want to, I want to kind of move back just a second because you, mentioned that Nathan Glazer quote, right? Who was the, the Harvard sociologist who was doing a lot of stuff maybe 50 years ago. I, I also picked up on that from your paper and I, I want to read the full quote and then give some context of how it sort of overlaps with some of the other stuff that we've been seeing in sort of the social capital space and some of the stuff that Scott Winship has talked about. So uh, as, as you quote in your paper, Nathan Glazer says, every piece of social policy substitutes for some traditional arrangement, whether good or bad, a new arrangement in which public authorities take over, at least in part, the role of the family, of the ethnic and the neighborhood group, or of the voluntary association. In so doing, social policy weakens the positions of these traditional agents. And so 
I think that that's you know pretty much undeniably true, at least to some extent. Yeah, you know, we can argue about the the impact of, of of that and this or that you know specific thing, but this is something similar that when Scott Winship he talks about first world problems, and uh, you know that's something that we we get at. But basically, you know, in a nutshell, these are the problems that have arisen uh, in our society, partly because we've grown so wealthy, right? So as we've become more productive as we've accumulated more wealth as a society, you know, in the aggregate, um, you know, I think of childcare is, is a perfect example of this. Like where once childcare was very much something that was dependent on maybe neighbors or extended family or, you know, things like that, or churches or, or communities of faith or whatever, uh, we buy that now in the market, right? So basically what we've done is because we've accumulated so much wealth, we basically have substituted market goods for these goods that have been more on the social and community side. Uh, and so I think we're kind of in a position now where it's clear that this is a trend that's been happening. Uh, and so we're kind of playing catch up on the government side, like, oh, well, people need more more funds to buy these market goods rather than thinking about, you know, maybe maybe by doing that, we are we're increasingly crowding out those things that do still exist. Uh, and so, you know, when I when I really get into these kinds of details with people that maybe don't see eye to eye with me on on some of this stuff, you know, the reaction is, you know, we can agree that this has been happening. So it's we can't let these go now because because those things have been so atrophied. The community organizations that are out there are, you know, a fraction of what they once were. So we're kind of stuck in this spot. Uh, where you know we some people are reluctant to let go of some of these things because they see the alternatives as so depleted. So, how can we break that cycle? How how do you see us getting out of that loop? Uh, so so one one part of that is uh, is the is the is we can ease regulations. Right, uh, you don't it doesn't have to be we don't necessarily have to do on off switches. Once you have something, so uh, on childcare, right? We've raised the bar so high with government provision of childcare and government intervention in childcare, uh, and and part of it is is based on a, a reading of James Heckman's work that the vet, right the biggest bang for your buck when investing in a person comes in early childhood, and so every government yeah. says we should have more investment in early childhood. And so universal pre-K, right? Yeah. Um, and, 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 and you, you take that to the extreme universal pre-K that it should be part of the public school, uh, that exists. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't, so we, it doesn't have to be in a, in a, uh, in a church. Uh, they look for, so we license pre-K now and the, the instructors have to go through licensing almost as rigorous as teaching, but they still have lower pay because it's really expensive because you need a lot more bodies to take care of three-year-olds than you do to take care of 13-year-olds. Um, and, 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 then, and, and the government then provides star rankings on those and provides subsidies based on how good a star ranking is. And so if you have licensed child care professionals in a, in a, 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 in a, a professional environment, that is on its own where there aren't any adults around except for those who are involved in the program, that's five stars. If you get down to lower levels with more, with more children per, per parent, per, uh, per, per adult, 
then that's maybe a three star or a two star. And we don't want two stars. We want and and we'll gear the subsidy so that the parent only has to pay 10 percent of the uh, of their income and we'll subsidize the rest because we want to get them into those five stars. Well, like that's a, that's a place to start. It's just let's let's start ratcheting those things back. Maybe let's go with a, a straight dollar amount instead of a, a tier instead of of government su- subsidy. Let's maybe broaden the aspect of five stars. Maybe maybe you get rid of the star system because you can't manage what you don't measure. And maybe we should just stop measuring some of these things and start and 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 with occupational licensing, you go from licensing down to certification. And so there are ways to start easing back the the government intervention, and that's that's the one side. But the other side of it is looking for being involved as 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 social entrepreneurs, either as starting organizations or as investors in organizations, um, looking for where can we provide some assistance, and where can either either where can I directly provide assistance by getting involved in something or where can I indirectly provide assistance by investing my investing in something as 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 a donor um and then there's there's uh and, and there's also uh some a number of companies that are starting to step into that third place like if there's something that's really valuable um there's probably a way to make money on it um mm-hmm. and they and there are some that are stepping in to provide that middle that to to get markets more involved in provision of these things with without government involvement um without being a a a charity but finding ways to provide low cost uh alternatives to things um and sometimes that can be technology and otherwise but um but uh, from a policy perspective the main thing is from a policy perspective it's get looking for ways to gear back government involvement um and the and the other big thing is looking for ways to build the muscles that as you said have atrophied over time that what what are the small things that we can do individually uh to improve our community and and, and it can be as simple as checking in on a neighbor and it can be as in, as, as intensive as starting a, a nonprofit or getting involved in the board or being an investor in one I love that answer. I think I think that's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, that's exactly what um, what I think we need. You know, I, I was having trouble kind of wrestling with this idea and this question. I'm I'm looking at this cycle, and uh, you know, I I think you're totally right. Like, we, you know, instead of thinking about it as the on-off switch, you know, or like government or private, it it really can be something gradual, right? If we start bringing down like you know if we can if we can just get rid of you know license like these crazy licensing requirements for home care for like child, home child care stuff that would open up a lot more possibilities we can kind of t- take those steps back and then and then the flip side of it is you know we as individuals have to be involved yeah. we we there's just there's no way around it yeah. there's no way around it there's nobody we have to really uh, embrace that responsibility for ourselves in our communities in our neighborhoods and, you know, I think that's an important part of this because, you know, not everybody like us, you know, works on policy, wants to work on policy, is tuned into some of these government things. You know, I think so often I think it'd be so helpful if people just went to their, you know, whatever, you know, district, local meetings or whatever. And, and that's good. And I, that's helpful. But even if you're not ready to take that step, you can like you said you can check in on an, on a neighbor you can you can do things in your community that are going to help build the backup 
those muscles and that infrastructure so that as some of the government stuff starts getting pared back a bit, there is that alternative framework that quite frankly it's a better one it's a it's a much better framework if it if it's there yeah and if you think think that's super helpful yeah if you think about uh a a friend of mine provided the the uh in education uh the 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 way to the way that he thinks about his involvement in education he's he started a charter school he started private schools that are low cost so that you can um and 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 you know there's the idea of voice and exit and there's the the voice within government that you're at the policy meetings and you're saying this this is how you improve it and then there's the exit and his involvement in on the education side and there's a there's a bit of it that that, that applies as well in nonprofit and social services because so many nonprofits that are actually directly involved in providing social services are receive receive three-fourths of their money from the government that's three fourths of, of nonprofits in the social services uh, and social service provision get their are, are three fourths of their funding comes from the government, um, and right, and that has strings attached yeah, often. Yeah, and yeah. and and churches often instead of saying we need to step, they 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 go with we'll we'll be involved for a, a couple of weeks, but then we'll point people to the government programs. Um, which is which, uh, you know, hurts your head when you think about it. Uh, but on on the on the school side, we we had public schools. You added in a lot of places charter schools. At the same time, you opened up the opportunity to have home schools, and private schools existed kind of parallel along the whole time, but they were a small share of the market and they could never get that big because well, it's expensive to run those. But as right. you as you as you provide charter schools and there's government funding for that, but completely private management and there's and there are far fewer strings than government provision. Okay, well now that's a, that's a step away. Then if you can find a way, and 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 a lot of entrepreneurs are finding ways to do low cost private schools instead of being the elite private school. It's a it's a private school that's more accessible for everybody, uh, and they 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 don't have all the bells and whistles, but they can be priced low enough so that that government opportunity scholarship or whatever it's called in your state uh, can help fund that. And, and now that right. now it's a much less expensive for a parent to find an alternative. And so now you have a charter school. Now you have a thousand dollar net price to a, a low income parent instead of $5,000 or $25,000 that was impossible to accomplish. And, and then right. so you have states that are doing ESAs, education savings accounts, and so that the parent can look at mentor, look at tutoring and look at other opportunities and look at ways to be able to, to build around that. And so if we take that same approach to social services, which are not Right. Education is funded at the state level and you can accomplish those things. And, and social services, so much of those are funded at the federal level. And so, right, we've been working for years on first step is let's get the money back down to the state. Then let's get yeah. the state and, and, and the programs were created to have community involvement, but they're still federal dollars. And so there's still all the strings. But look for what are the ways that we can either downgrade the, the, the state involvement, the government involvement in it. And what are ways that we can provide some some grant some more grant money to programs, uh, social impact bonds, or just performance performance based grants to community organizations, and say, are you accomplishing this? Are you accomplishing it better? And then be able to follow up and look for ways to be able to divert. And this is where the federal money becomes a challenge again because it's less you're less able to divert. But look for ways to be able to divert those the, those government funds 
out of the traditional government program and into uh, the community program. And that builds up those muscles. You, 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 you gain some strength, and we see that happening on, on the school side, that the, the charter schools are, are, are a lot more, uh, have a lot more strength than they used to, and the homeschoolers have more strength and more people. And the alternative, every alternative right. is gaining, and especially in the past year, with the with the closure of of public school in person, people have been looking for every alternative that they can. And 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 surprise and and while we where we thought a year ago that private schools were going to need a lot of assistance to be able to get through because they weren't going to have students uh, because nobody could afford it because the government provided all all, all the money. Uh, people were able to afford it and the private schools are doing well because they have even more people looking to them. And so something like that, it can happen on the nonprofit side and on the social service side. It's just how the, the way to accomplish that is, 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 is still something that has to be experimented with. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, um, that education uh, side of that really uh, lays an important framework for how this could be accomplished because once you get that ball rolling, right, even if it's still state dollars, if there's some flexibility in there, you know, like you like your friend, you know, who's starting this, you know, these new charter schools that are more affordable. I mean, that's kind of what markets do, right? right? Like they, like you have a service and, and, you know, as long as there's a customer base, you know, that, that can be there for that, you're going to see a proliferation in different things. You're going to see um, innovations. You're going to see new types of services, you know, pop up new experimentation. I mean, that's, that is a huge advantage uh, of the market side of things. It's not, based on political will it's based on individual choices and so i think that's a really interesting way to look at it because you know it's even if it is still uh, dependent on some uh government funding of at some level once you get that ball rolling you'll have so many alternatives so many different options that i you know and and speaking of the covid stuff you know and the school closures i don't think that these traditional public schools are really going to be able to put that toothpaste back in the tube, you know, like so many people have discovered that there are better alternatives that are available to them, uh, which I, I, I see is, uh, you know, this is great. We're going to, it's, it's a, it's a really positive one silver lining <laughs> from all this nonsense, but, um, well, I want to switch gears a little bit. I think this has been really helpful, but I did want to, uh, touch on one, one thing that really, um, I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is in your report, you talk about the dignity of work. And I think that that's something on which we would both very much agree. Uh, I think a lot of people recognize that. Uh, but I have seen, uh, and, and I'll, I'll grant you, this is not sort of in in the mainstream of American politics yet, but it's getting closer all the time, where there are people who definitely sort of reject this idea that work has that sort of inherent dignity to it. You know, they're kind of saying, you know, these are menial jobs. People shouldn't be, be forced to work them. Um, you know, we should automate them wherever we can, especially in the context of conversations about universal basic income. Right. So, uh, for instance, you know, I, you can, you can find a million different examples of this. One that I found when I was prepping for this conversation was from the new Republic. Uh, you know, the guy, the writer writes, you know, quote, America would be better off if we divorced dignity from work altogether. Uh, and he's talking about that in context of advocating for a UBI, uh, and how that would provide people the room to grow or to, to, um, you know, seek educational alternatives so they can get better jobs. Um, but it's, uh, it's very much, uh, this idea that, you know, in fact, no, 
there is an inherent inherent dignity to work. It's not that important. We should avoid it if we can for these better alternatives. So how, how would you respond to those kinds of arguments? How would you, uh, how would you engage with that person that with that sort of a view? Yeah. So, um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll start with with the UBI part of it first because that's the, the when, when we started the pandemic, there was the talk of well, the the the, the Trump payments are kind of a test of could a uni, could a universal basic income work because everybody's getting uh, whatever the amount was. Um, there have been so many checks that I can't remember how much the first one was and how much the last one was. I just know that you know. Yeah. Um, the kids call them stimmies yeah. now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so you, you've got you've got the you've got the checks that are going, but uh, and 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 those have been those have been helpful, and nobody left the job because of those payments. Um, mm-hmm. But the the uh, continued uh, unemployment payments that's creating the challenge when it comes to work is that we that's government providing money. But putting rules on whether you can, on what you can do in order to get the money, um, and that's the problem mm-hmm. that, that that all the government welfare programs have is that once you once you cross that threshold, that's it. You get no more. Um, and so, uh, like the, the the where does where does universal basic income in all of this fit is 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 actually like I, I don't know that the past year has provided much. To of uh, a, a direction on whether universal basic income is good or bad, but I know that the that the past uh, six months at least have proven that high unemployment benefits are a bad thing because that it it leads to it makes things difficult for people to be able to get work and and for uh, and for employers to be able to employ people even at outrageous sal- even out at, at at outrageous wages for what they're for what they're doing in the, in the uh so um but when it comes to is there so the 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 writer from the new republic um it, it to say that it would be great if america could get pa- could get passed and we could divorce the idea of dignity from of dignity from work it, um it, it, is is like saying it it would be great if we could if we could if people could just stop uh if we could take uh pleasure from if we could remove the pleasure from alcohol from alcohol drinking right <laughs> there's a there's a good part of 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 drinking alcohol that is that is that the, the the chemicals in it do affect your brain and that's and there's there's a positive to that um that leads mm-hmm. people to to go the wrong way um but but divorcing but Dignity. When we say that dignity is inherent in work, it's because it's inherent in work. We can't divorce it. It's not something that policy or that policy wise or otherwise we can separate those two. Uh, and so, to the, the dignity of, of work comes from uh, the productive value that you provide to somebody else. So whether you're going to be paid for your work or you're going to volunteer for your work or you're going to do something else. There is the dignity comes from the fact that you're providing value to somebody else and the money from it Mm -hmm. is the recognition of the value that you provided. And so sometimes we do things right within a family. We do it because we we care for the person who's in our family, whether it's our spouse or child or mother or father or even a cousin or an uncle or an aunt or a grandma, right? Like whatever that 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 definition of your family is providing for them 
makes you feel good. Providing for a friend makes you feel good. The fact that you can do something like that is, and 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 it makes you feel good because you have value. There's uh, the, yeah. uh, Arthur Brooks tells a story about somebody who came out of prison um, and went to work for an exterminator company. And the, and, and, and the gentleman pulled him aside and said, look at this. And he showed him a, a, something on his phone and then said, we have a bed bug problem at this address. We need you. He said, nobody in my life has ever said they need me. Right. That's the dignity of work. That has nothing to do with how much you get paid for it or anything else. It comes from, from, the, from the inherent thing that you are doing something that somebody else has, has a need for. They recognize it, and they turn it back to you. And so now you see the, value, the, the worth that you have that is, that is provided just from the fact that you're, you're a person. Um, and so that, yeah. that's, that's um, so when somebody says, we, I wish we could divorce dignity from work, they're, they're, they're attaching a dollar value to dignity and they're completely missing the point. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, that's very, um, that's very correct. And it's very, it's very interesting. I'm thinking back to uh, one of my colleagues that we work with at the Archbridge Institute. He's a, uh, his, Dr. Clay Rutledge. He's the uh, professor at uh, North Dakota State University. Um, and he works a lot on meaning and measuring meaning and, and how that stuff all sort of fits together. And uh, one of the things that he's, he highlights a lot is, you know, uh, we get meaning from our social ties, but it's not just the fact that we're keyed in socially. It's exactly what you're talking about. It's, it's the fact that you're needed, that you're valued, right? It's not, it's not just enough to have a lot of friends. It's, it's really, you know, you, you add something, uh, you know, to that mix, you know, and that's, that's what's so important. And that's, uh, and, and you're, you know, the money can be a signal of that in some cases, uh, you know, in the private economy, but yeah, anyway, so I'm, I'm happy that you were able to touch on that and really kind of, um, take a, take a look at that. Cause I, you know, this is something that I think, uh, you know, I hear a little bit from some corners here and there. Uh, but I think as we start talking about UBI a little bit more, and as that sort of hits the stage, I think I think we're probably gonna, uh, you know, this is this is something that we know that we're probably gonna have to relearn a little yeah. bit uh, as a as a country. Um, so that's that's helpful. Uh, I'll I'll even say, you know, even from my own background, uh, my first job I got I got a job when I was a sophomore in high school, and uh, I worked at a local hardware store. Awesome job, I loved it. I learned so much about uh, about everything. Um, and, uh, I remember, you know, I worked in the plumbing department and, uh, that's been helpful now that I've recently bought a house and we've been doing a lot of renovations and work on it, as you can see. But, um, it's, uh, it's even more than that. I remember, you know, being, you know, walking the aisles or something like that. And some, somebody would walk in and I, this one time in particular, this woman walked in, she's clearly, you know, upset. And, you know, she's looks like, you know, she'd been crying. She's kind of frantic and she's, has, you know, some plumbing pieces in her hands. And she's saying, you know, like my toilet is overflowing, you know, they're bailing out water right now. Like I need, like, I don't know how to fix this. I need to do this. And so I was able to like walk her over to the models that we had, you know, and really kind of walk her through sort of, okay, is your toilet, you know, is it mounted this way or is it over this way? You know, this is what, how you replace that piece and that kind of stuff. And here's the number to the store, you know, just call me, you know, call, ask for me, you know, if you need anything. And, and, being able to, I mean, to provide somebody with the value of, you know, I'm, I can go, I can go home and I can fix this problem that is 
it is a huge problem for me right now. Uh, and to, and to be able to actually step in and, and, and help them, you know, in, in a very tangible way. I mean, there's, there's nothing like it, you know? And I think that's, um, I hope everybody gets to, to do something like that, you know, in, in some way or another. So, uh, well, I know we're, we're sort of nearing, uh, the end of our time here. So I did want to wrap up maybe with, with one more, uh, closing question that sort of ties together some of the things that we've been talking about. So we've been talking about community. We've been talking about how we can uh, build back up these alternatives. This is government infrastructure, uh, and we can kind of do that in a, in a piecemeal sort of way. Uh, for anyone that sort of wor- maybe they work in similar circles that we do, or they're working in different policies or in or, in or around government, what would be your key pieces of advice for them? As they're as they're either thinking about policies or maybe they're evaluating them uh, within the government side. So, how what what are maybe some of the key takeaways that you'd want them to think about as they're as they're doing their work? Uh, within government, we should always be asking what, what is the uh, what is the job that this program or this agency was is is hired to do. Uh, I've, I've been thinking about a lot about Clay Christensen asking that question. Uh, he asked it when it comes to McDonald's milkshakes, because uh, McDonald's said, we have, we have people buying milkshakes dur- during the morning drive. We can't figure this out. Um, and, and he said, so what job did they hire the milkshake to do? And it was because they had a long drive that had, had, had to account, and they had to keep their, themselves occupied for the entire drive. And, and there was probably a little bit of it that they didn't want to have a mess. So they bought a milkshake to have su- sustenance and, and something to get them through the, the entire thing. Uh, and once you ask that question, then you can say, well, what do we do to, to, to provide that, to meet that job? Um, and we don't, once, once a, once a government program is established, we don't ask that question enough. Um, we, we go straight to the, uh, and the, and the question that goes along with that, okay, is, is this a job for government to do? Um, and, yeah. Are, are, are we, are we, are, this is a job that needs to be done. Is, is this the right place to do it? And then is this the right agency to do it? Is this the right place within government if it, if it is something that government should do? Um, and, then, and then go through the, are we, are we doing it? How do we know that we're accomplishing our goal? What are, what are we measuring? Uh, too, too many uh, welfare agencies measure their, their success by how many people are enrolled instead of how many people don't need the program anymore. Um, and, and, you know, and then your last thing is, okay, well, how's it doing on, on, on efficiency? How is it doing with the money that it's receiving? Um, but so, so that's for, that's the kind of, that's, that's a broad way to think about, are we doing the right thing within government? And so for those of us in the policy community, uh, that's, that's, that's part of where we should be looking and, and, and start from, uh, start from that basic thing is what's it, what's the goal that we're trying to accomplish? Um, because too often when we write policy papers, we don't start with the goal that we're trying to accomplish. We jump right into the, uh, the, uh, the, the what's and the how's, right? This is how we should get there. Uh, yeah. We don't say, uh, is, is the, the Simon Sinek question, start with why, then what, then how. And too often on, we, we start with the how. And, and we hear that from all of the folks who come in and provide us with communication, but it's true. Um, and and, and that's, that's why everybody tells us that. Um, and, and, uh, cause, and then, uh, and, and then in general, uh, when thinking about policy or if you're working in government, right, government's going to be with us just like 
poverty is and like everything else, right? We're, we're flawed individuals. We're going to have problems. We're going to need government to do some things for us because it's about the only way that we'll be able to accomplish some things. It would be great if we could reduce the number of things that we look to government to do so that it could do the things that we needed to do well. Um, and, but uh, if there, just like there is inherent dignity in work, there is dignity in working in government and or, just as there is in working in the nonprofit sector or in, or in the marketplace or even working in a non-paid environment in your home to, to raise your child or anything else, right? Let's recognize first that, that everybody has dignity just by being and there's dignity in what they're doing. Um, and so uh, kind of take the grateful debt approach to the job that you have in addition to everything else. Uh, leave it better than, like, take only pictures, leave only memories, do, leave something better behind you than what you walked into. And so government's a really hard thing to move, just like any large bureaucracy, whether it's General Motors uh, or, or even Google at this point. But there, if, you can, if you can step into it, recognize that you're not going to change it overnight, that you might not even recognize the change that you're able to accomplish. But if you step into it, do your work with dignity, do your work uh, for the good of others. Um, you'll make at least the people around you uh, have a better day. And, and the work that you provide will be of better quality than otherwise would be and, 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 and look for the way that you can provide value for others. That's, I mean, they're, they're simple things, but that's like regardless of where we are, having worked in nonprofit, for-profit, uh, and, and in government, the, those are the things that have been constant around them. Is it, it, when there are good people, they're recognized by their peers. They make the they make they make the the workplace a better place and and yeah and in small ways they make the world better and so that's um, but uh, not not I don't know that that's very practical and it, but uh, that that's that's the best advice I got. I think it is. I think it is. I think I think if we could all uh, you know take take closer steps to to get closer to what you're describing. Uh, things things would improve. Things would improve, or at least they'd be better than they could be. And let's let's see how good they can yeah. get. So, well, Joe, I really appreciate this again. Uh, thank you for talking with me today. We'll make sure that your report is linked in the show notes here. And uh, you know, let's let's keep in touch and let's make sure we have you back on uh, whenever whenever you got something else that you think would be uh, relevant for our uh, Archbridge removing barriers audience. Sounds good, man. Thanks so much. <laughs>